welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We're currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. So we're going to be in um, 1 Peter 2, um, 2 through 3, but we're also going to be in uh, Psalm 119. So if you could turn to both of them, I realize if you're using something electronic, that might be impossible. Is it? Maybe. So, um, 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3. And what we're doing here is, um, I'm Eric Cobb, by the way. Thank you guys for coming. We're excited you're here. Do you like the temperature? I do. This is awesome. This is good. You guys are very alert. You can huddle together. Um, during the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at um, pursuing heart change in 2016. And so, um, we've been looking at a few different things. The first week, we talked about how the heart is the target. Uh, you know, Jesus promised that following him would be an easy yoke and a light burden. The Apostle John talks about his commandments not being burdensome. How do, how, but we don't always experience that. And how do, we, how do we experience that? We experience that as we have our hearts transformed so that we actually want to do the things he's commanded. So that was the first week. The second week, we talked about training yourself for godliness. We talked about how there's things that you can do by training that you can never do by trying alone. The example was a marathon. Um, and I asked you guys, how many of you guys have run a marathon? I'll just ask now. How many of you guys have run a marathon? I'm not really raising my hand. There's one here. <laughs> how many of you guys could run a marathon right now? But how many of you guys could run a marathon? I like that confidence. Uh, how many of you guys could run a marathon if you had trained for it? And the answer is almost all of you could run a marathon if you trained for it. And so we looked at how um, we can train ourselves for godliness, that there's spiritual disciplines that Jesus himself practiced that we can practice and actually have our hearts changed by that. Now, this week, though, we're going to look at one of the most important spiritual disciplines, which is consumption of God's word. And it's in 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3, and the passage reads, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is pure spiritual milk, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would give us this morning a desire more and more for your word, that this year would be a new year, mostly because you had given us an appetite for yourself. And we pray that you would do that this morning. That's something that I can't make happen. That's something that we can't make happen to ourselves. Lord, that is a gift from you. And so we pray that you would give it. Give us a hunger and a thirst for you. Give us a, a strong longing for you in your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in this passage. Do you guys see what the command is in this passage? There's one command. Do you guys see what it is? Silence. This is open book. You could totally. What's that? What is it? To long, right? It's to long. And to long for what? Well, if you look at the context, it just says pure spiritual milk. So you don't really know for sure what that is until you look into a couple verses before in chapter 1. You see he's talking about the word of the Lord. Do you see that? If you look through uh, around verse 24, 25, he talks about the word of the Lord and abide, the abiding word of God. And so we know that what he's talking about is longing for the word. And I just love this command, guys, because this isn't a command to read the Bible, actually. It's not. It's not a command that you would read the Bible. What is a command that you would do? That you would have an appetite for God's word. So he's commanding an appetite. And I think this is super important because it's so easy to elicit guilt in this area, isn't it? Like, even as I mentioned it, some of you were like, oh, shoot, here it comes. You know, I don't read the Bible enough. If I did a message on Bible reading, prayer, or evangelism, all of those would easily generate guilt. But it would be no benefit to you. 
Um, I love here that Peter, he would rather stoke an appetite than lay a burden. And that's the heart of your God. He would way rather stoke an appetite than lay a burden. So that's not what this is about. This is about an appetite growing. And, and guys, if you think about it, it does not glorify God if we approach his word out of guilt or duty, right? Uh, I'll give you an example. So um, Friday night, we went out on date night against all odds. And we got out there. And um, imagine, you know, Tasha and I are sitting there and we're, we're eating uh, nervously because we don't know what's going to happen at home. And... Um, <laughs> And, and, I, and, I, and she says something like, oh, you know, thanks so much for taking me out to dinner. Let me give you three different things I could say to her. And you can tell me which one glorifies her most, right? First answer could be this. I could say to her, well, you know, I just feel horribly guilty if we don't do it. That's option number one. Option number two would be, you know, it's just the right thing to do. And you know me, I always want to do the right thing. Or third, which is the true one, is... All day I've been looking forward to being with you. This is my pleasure. Like, which one? You like that one. Okay, she likes option three. Okay, good. Well, guys, that's the way it is with the word of God. He's not glorified by us going, well, it's just the right thing to do. I know I should need to do my devotions. Or, you know, I feel horribly guilty if I'm not in the word. It, this is about um, desire. God is glorified when we desire his word. And so that's been my prayer for this morning. That's been my prayer for our time together, is that God would stoke a desire in us for his word. And I want to go at it in two different ways from this text. The first one is I want to show you that God's word is pure spiritual milk, just like it says here. So that it's pure spiritual milk. You need to see that if you're going to desire it. And then I want to look at how does it taste? Because you could be like, oh, yeah, it's nutritious, it's good for me, and stuff like that, but how does it taste? So I want to look at how it tastes after that, because that's the second part of the verse. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So first I want to look at that it's pure spiritual milk. And I want to look at it in five ways. If you were to open a systematic theology book, which we are not going to do right now, there would be five main attributes of Scripture, five main things that Scripture teaches about itself that help us to long for it. And, and the five things are this. The Bible's authority, the Bible's inerrancy, the Bible's clarity, the Bible's sufficiency, and its necessity. So we're going to look at those five things real quick. Uh, first one is its authority. When we talk about the Bible having authority, we're saying that this is pure spiritual milk because it is God's very words. Isn't that amazing? This book contains God's very words. First Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So he breathed out these words into people. They wrote it down for you to hold. Isn't that amazing? Uh, 2 Peter 1.21 says, men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's an important wording because it isn't that this was dropped from heaven as a book. It isn't that we received this on golden plates that had to be translated with big glasses on. It isn't that this was dictated for the most part. There are a few parts maybe in the prophets where you said, tell them this, you know, and they were dictated. But it's mostly not dictation. It's people writing in their own writing styles. And so you can tell, for example, a piece of John from a piece of Paul it's in their own writing styles. It is in their very words, but it is 100% God's word. It's not merely the words of men. People say, oh, well, you know, it's just, God, it's just the words of men. It's not. It's written by men, but it's 100% the words he intended. Uh, if it helps you, you could think about it like you think about the incarnation. Jesus is 100% God. He's 100% man. This is written by human beings in their own writing styles. And if you read something like 2 Corinthians, you can see the emotion and the intensity and the angst of Paul, Right? And yet it's 100% God's words, 100% God's words. And so when we talk about the authority of Scripture, we talk about these words are the actual words of God such that 
To disbelieve or disobey anything in here is the same as disbelieving or disobeying God. It's that tight. These are his very words. And guys, we forget this, don't we? Uh, I had a situation a couple years ago where I was talking to a guy who was uh, bent on divorcing his wife, and, and he didn't have biblical grounds to do so. And we were pleading with him with tears, just saying, you know, don't do this. This isn't what God would have you to do. And we're showing him scripture. And finally I said to him, I said, okay, what if God were to show up today and tell you, don't divorce your wife? You know what he said? Well, that'd be different. It's not different. <laughs> these are God's very words. To disbelieve these words or to disobey them is to disbelieve or disobey God. And there's no other writing or person on earth that has that kind of authority. And that's one of the differences we have with various religions. That's the difference we have with, say, the Roman Catholic Church, is that there is only one source of authority on earth, God's very words, the Bible. Guys, wonder at this. You have God's very words. You, like you who live in Menifee, have God's very words in a book. How did this happen? You know, you who work retail have God's very words. Like, how did you come upon this? We actually have God's very words. You have them in your hands. They're precious. Secondly, see the Bible, says the Bible's authority. See the Bible's inerrancy. Because these are God's very words and God doesn't make mistakes and he doesn't lie, we can be assured, confident that everything in here um, the Bible, in its original manuscripts, does not affirm anything contrary to fact. It never affirms anything contrary to fact. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't rounded numbers. That doesn't mean there aren't approximate times in here. That doesn't mean there aren't poetic or figurative language. You have to read it according to its genre. But the words in here, it says, Psalm uh, 12:6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times. What does that mean when he says, these words are like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times? What he's saying is, all the junk's gotten out of it, which is a good thing because it's baby food. You just realize that? It says in 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3, it says that this is like milk that, that God feeds his infant children, okay? So he's not feeding them stuff with contaminations. You know, we had a few years back, there was like baby formula from China or whatever that was contaminated with all kinds of things. God's word's not like that. It's been purified seven times. Um, if you guys uh, are engaging people with the gospel, which I hope you are, um, one thing you'll find is people will often say, well, you know, the Bible, it's got so many errors and contradictions in it, right? You hear that, you know, kind of said a lot. What's the most important question you can ask a person after they say that? Yes. Okay. And where exactly do you mean? Can you show me some of these? And sometimes it ends right there. They're like, I don't know. I heard it in a college class. And you're like, okay, well, then let's move on to another objection, you know? But sometimes they do have a list of things and concerns they have. Some of you have concerns about things you've read. And you thought, how does this fit with that? And I just want to encourage you guys. It says in, um, it says in Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of the Lord proves true. And I've just found that over and over again. So if somebody has a list of objections for you or you personally have them, let's study those. Ben and I have been doing that recently. He had a, a guy, a skeptical guy, that he has, has some questions. And we've been kind of going through some things that, um, that he brought to us. Guys, realize that anything that you find in here that you think might not fit some other part has been seen over the last 1,900 years by Christians. They've seen it. They've answered it. It's amazing how many of these objections we go like, whoa, you know, like this changes everything. This doesn't fit with that. And you find out that like St. Augustine, like in the 400s, answered that, you know. And here we are 1,500 years later worrying about it, you know. We need to study. If we study, we can find answer. Every word of the Lord 
proves true. And guys, we want to be a community where you can do that, where you could say, hey, I've been reading the Bible reading plan. I'm really bothered by something I read. And we wouldn't feel like, you know, you're a heretic or question your faith or anything like that. Bring those to us. It's so much better for you guys to deal with those than what we often do out of laziness or fear is we kind of shove them down somewhere. You go like, ooh, that's weird. Let me just shove that down below my spleen, you know, and try not to, you know, think about it anymore. That's not healthy for your faith. A healthier thing for your faith would you write that out. Let's study it. Let's look into it. We're not afraid. Every word of the Lord proves true. Um, this is actually the only word of God that we have that's error-free. You know, this is everything else that people have, they've studied, they've written, whatever, has to be tested. But this is the only thing that's been certified pure. God has certified this pure. As a good father, God has given his children pure, inerrant spiritual food. So that's the inerrancy. Second, thirdly, the clarity. I love this one, the clarity of scripture. The Bible is clear and understandable. And you guys might be like, uh, I have other areas, you know, I have areas where I would beg to differ. Let me explain what that means. The Bible is clear and understandable. It is food that can be digested at the earliest stages of life. First uh, Peter 2 says that like newborn infants crave the pure spiritual milk. So what does the clarity of scripture mean? Um, it means, according to Wayne Grudem, he says, uh, the Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who read it, seeking God's help and willing to follow it. Okay, that's an important <laughs> distinction there. And that doesn't mean that every single part of it's equally clear. And we all remember that Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.15. He's talking about Paul's writings. And he goes, yeah, he goes, you know, Paul, he writes scripture, he writes God's truth. This is, this is to be taken as God's word. And then he goes, you know, there's some things in there that are difficult to understand. I mean, that's Peter, right, saying that there's areas that are difficult to understand. So there, there are areas that are harder than others. And it doesn't mean that we don't have to learn how to study it. That's an important part of discipleship is learning how to study and self-feed and read the word for ourselves uh, and seek the Holy Spirit's guidance. But check this out. The Bible is clear enough in its core messages and teachings to be taught by ordinary parents to their very ordinary children. Okay, Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says, These words I have commanded to you today to be on your heart. And then listen to this. This is talking to ordinary people. Like you guys have, you know, above ordinary children, right? You have exceptional children. This is to ordinary people and their ordinary children. He says, you shall teach them diligently, you parents, to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. And so this, the core message, the core teachings of the Bible are clear enough to where parents can teach their children these things. They're also clear enough to make the wise simple. It says in Psalm 1917, the word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So you say, well, I'm pretty simple. Great, you know, the word of God is for you, is to make wise the simple. Some of you guys have seen probably on car bumper stickers or you heard people say like, we can't fix stupid. You ever heard that before? It's kind of hopeless, huh? You're like, can't fix stupid, you know? That's not what Psalm 19 says. It says that the word of God makes wise the simple. And so if we will come to the Lord and go, you know what? I made a mess of my life. Um, I, I'm ready to listen. You can dig into the word and he will make us wise. Anybody can be made wise by scripture. Fourthly, we want to see the necessity of scripture. He says in verse two here, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Um, I'm a horse vet and it's um, January now. So like next month we'll start having um, horses starting to give birth. And so it gets busier for us then. Um, foals, we call them, little foals when they're born. Not fools, foals. 
Um, and uh, one of the biggest questions we have to ask when somebody calls and they're concerned, they go, I don't know if this foal's okay, you know, what's going on with it? The biggest question to ask is, is he nursing? Because, you know, you can wait till that afternoon or the next day for other problems, but if they're not nursing, they can, like, die that day. It's crazy how delicate they are. Um, but the core question is, are they nursing? Guys, the word of God is necessary for us. And that's a great question for us as we think about our own spiritual health is, are we seeking out the word? Guys, the difference between Christians that stagnate and those who grow in love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control, the kind that really have their hearts renovated, is their intake of the word. You know, is their intake of the Bible. Um, the Bible renovates as we read it it renovates the inside of our hearts isn't it it takes our thoughts and emotions and aligns them to God's thoughts and emotions um, and it's the best thing you can do for a new believer the best thing you can do for a new believer somebody that's new to the Lord is teach them to pray and teach them to read the word for themselves and so um, that's something we're we, we need to do God has uh, given us our necessary spiritual nutrition in this book <coughs> Jesus said in Matthew 4 Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that's the fourth one, necessity. Uh, the last one is sufficiency. By sufficiency, we mean not only that you need it, but sufficiency says, this is all you need. Isn't that convenient? You know, because there's, you know, if you were to go and look in Amazon and look under spirituality or things like that, you would find endless, endless books. Books are always being written. And yet he says that this is all we need. 2 Timothy 3.16 all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is sufficient. You know, this is the place to spend our time. And I know this, this year, you know, you think about New Year's and, and New Year's, you start to think about like your insufficiencies, the areas, your limitations and your shortcomings. Guys, by applying the word of God by the spirit, we can learn to do everything he's commanded. This is sufficient. This is what you need. The Bible is sufficient. And it's superior. I, was in a, um, I went to this counseling training thing, which was super fun but weird. So, um, so you go to this counseling training thing, and you get in the room while people are being counseled. So you got a couple, and they're, like, feisty with each other. And then there's the counselor, and then there's you in a chair with, like, a notepad, which was weird. And they agree to this, which is strange. And, um, and it was so cool because I remember the counselor in the beginning just saying, like, just so you know, what you need is in here. It's the, it's the power of the Spirit, and it's this book that's going to transform your marriage. It's, it's what's contained in these scriptures. And he said, we believe this is sufficient. And he goes, but we don't just believe it's sufficient. We believe it's superior. Like, it's not like, oh, this is just enough. Like, this is better than any other thing we could apply to your marriage. And I just love that. It's not just sufficient. It's superior. And we have to think about it. You know, he says it's like milk for newborn babies. And so God's saying to you, and he's saying to us as a church, he's saying, if you would just eat this, God says, I promise that everything in your life will change. I promise that I will renovate you from the inside out. The question is, will we believe him? I was just thinking about, like, what if you're watching somebody's baby? This is good for us that, you know, disciple others and kind of minister to people. What if you're watching somebody else's baby and they left you some bottles and say, hey, just, you know, warm these up. And, and then they left and you went like, you know what? What's even in this? Let's give them something that's really going to grow them, you know? And we start just pulling things out of the kitchen, maybe blending up some steak and stuff like that for the baby. I know that sounds disgusting. But that's sometimes what we do as churches, don't we? We go like, oh, this will never work, you know? Like, what's in there? 
Let me find some other things. It's sufficient. It's all that we need. Okay, so we saw that the Bible is pure spiritual milk, that it's digestible, nutritious, right? That it has authority, that it has um, inerrancy, it's clear, that it has sufficiency and necessity. But you could ask a question now. Because I could bring any kind of food to you like that and go, this is what it's got going for it. And you might ask what? But how does it taste? Okay, how does it taste? And I think that's a reasonable question. How does it taste? And there's no better place to go to see how the Bible tastes in Psalm 119. Take a look there. Turn to Psalm 119, because I'm going to hit several verses there. There's this guy in Psalm 118, the Psalm 118 man or woman, we don't know. It doesn't say who wrote it. But this person, this Psalm 119 man, is crazy into the Bible. Okay, And I'm going to read several passages. But this guy, if you ask him, what does the Bible taste like? He's like, let me tell you. And so we're going to hear. And when he talks about the Bible, he's going to use different words. He'll use the word law or statute or rules or testimony or promise or command. And that reminds us that God has given us this rich feast in his word, right? There's, there's histories in here, you know, so we can read histories that are spiritually beneficial for us to read. There's epistles or letters. There's um, prophetic literature. There's proverbs. There's um, songs, there's psalms, there's apocalyptic literature. I mean, he's given us all kinds of things. So if you're like, oh, I don't really feel like, you know, reading an epistle right now, there are other choices here, right? God, like a generous and good chef, has prepared a varied and delicious feast in the word. And so the last attribute we're going to look at in Psalm 118 here is the savoriness of Scripture. I find that wholly lacking from systematic theology books. Like, where is the part on the savoriness Right? But it's savory. Take a look at this. Um, I'm going to read um, some verses from Psalm 118. I'll just give you the verse number. You know they're all in there. But the first one, look at verse 20. This Psalm 118 man. He says, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Have you been there before? My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Maybe some of you guys are there right now. Do you guys know the philosopher Immanuel Kant, who wasn't known for, as a Bible lover, said this, a single line of the Bible has consoled me more than all the books I've ever read. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. How's that? How about uh, verse 90, 92? In your law have been my delights, I would have perished in my affliction. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Or, or 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How's that? Mmm, right? You know, let me read it this way. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know, he loves this. He's just... This is so good. Look at 111. He says, your testimonies are my heritage forever. They have been the joy of my heart. You're just thinking, I lack joy. Where do we need to go? We need to go to God's word to have our joy stoked again. Look at um, 127. I love this one. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. I'm thinking about this. Okay, think about this. Think about you have no access to a Bible. Okay? Can't get it online. Can't get it anywhere. Nowhere. And somebody offers to sell you a Bible. How much would you pay? You have no other access to scripture. How much would you pay? Yeah, would you pay 50 bucks? Would you pay 500? Would you pay 5,000? Would you pay 50,000? Would you like join together a bunch of you and get your money together to try and buy this book? We'd have to pay whatever they're charging. 
Like this book is worth more than gold, more than fine gold. Look at 131. This is great. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. What on earth? Okay, this guy's out of control, right? Like, you like the Bible? He's like, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. It's crazy, isn't it? Look at 143. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. You ever feel hunted by your problems? Trouble and anguish have found me out. You ever feel like that? They found me again. And then what is the solution? But your commandments are my delight. Look at 147. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night. They may meditate on your promise. You guys ever dread your day? You ever wake up that hour before the alarm goes off and just think, this is a disaster? And you're like, I wish I could go back to sleep. And like, Lord, make this hour feel like 10 hours, you know, if you could do that. But you can't fall asleep. So what do you end up? Just flopping back and forth, back and forth, just waiting, right? Just dreading your day. Um, The psalmist says, use that time to meditate on scripture. You know, he says, I meditate on your promise. So that you could like go into your day confident, right? Confident that God's with you instead of just flopping back and forth. George Mueller, who was a, had an amazing ministry to orphans in the 1800s, this is what he said about his morning time of meditation in the Word. Check this out. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Like, what's he doing when he wakes up in the morning and he, he meditates on God's Word? What is he, what's his goal? His goal is to get himself happy in the Lord. How different is that from like, well, I know I should feel guilty if I don't, you know? He wants to make his soul happy in the Lord. And then listen to what he says, and you guys might be like a little shocked by what he says. He said, the first thing to be concerned with was not how much I might serve the Lord or how I might glorify the Lord, but that I might have my soul in a happy state and have my inner man nourished. I saw that the most important thing to do was to give myself to reading of the Word of God and meditation on it. Because he knows that he, he, he does want to serve the Lord. I mean, this was a guy that was crazy about serving the Lord and glorifying God and stuff. But what's the important thing? That he does it from a heart of desire and love and joy in God. And guys, so what is meditation? Because you guys can get the idea, like in a cartoon, meditation's like, you know, you do this, you know, home, you know, kind of a thing, right? I don't even think anyone does meditation like that. But what is meditation? Meditation is when we take some small portion of our reading and we, we ponder it, you know? We, we go over it from a bunch of different directions. I love what Rick Warren says about it. He says that if you can worry, you can meditate, okay? It's the same activity, <laughs> okay? So worry is I take my problem and I look at it from a bunch of different ways. And if you're me and you have some sort of an anxiety disorder like myself, what happens is, is you, you make up like 170 ways this could go wrong that can't all happen but you believe they all will, okay, which is horrible. But what he says is if you can worry, you can meditate because that's to take that same promise and to look at it from all different angles. Um, I've read a bunch of different places that meditation is the Christian's way of chewing the cud, okay? It's that chewing and that meditating and that grinding away at, right? You guys know what chewing the cud is, right? So cows, um, this is very agricultural this morning, um, <laughs> So cows, they go and they graze, right? They graze all day, but they're, they're cows, and so they're not super athletic. And so after a while, they're done, and they'll go kick it under a tree somewhere. And they're just sitting there, right, under the tree, and then all of a sudden, a wave goes up. Their left side of their throat, it's their esophagus, a wave goes up, 
and they start chewing again. Like, what is that? Well, they kicked up what they had already eaten. And they bring it up and they chew it some more because they want to get the maximum amount out of, out of the, the food that they have. That's like us. The, the grazing is our reading. So I recommend that we read good amounts, you know, read a couple chapters or whatever. But then you're going to take one part and you're going to kick it later and you're going to what? You're going to bring it up <laughs> and you're going to chew it and you're going to mull it over, okay? And it has the same benefit as it does of the cow. We suck all the nutrients out of it, you know? We don't let it go until we've sucked all the nutrients. So here's how it looks. We, we sit down with our Bibles, and maybe this is in the morning, whatever time of day it is for you. Just pick the best time of day and pray. Um, verse 17 in Psalm 119 says, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. That's a great prayer to pray when you open the word. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your word. And then, and then we ponder the word of God and we pray over the word of God. And you know what happens? God speaks. He still speaks. Um, you know, people often talk about, you know, we need to not just speak in prayer, but listen in prayer. The Bible never tells us to listen in prayer. The Bible says that we speak to God in prayer, and he speaks to us in his word. But he really does speak, guys. It, because sometimes we have this idea like, oh, okay, well, he talked before to people, and then they wrote it down, and he doesn't talk anymore to us. That's not the case. This book is alive, guys. The Spirit of God, through his living word, still speaks to us. And you guys have all experienced this, right? When you're reading along and then all of a sudden there's a part of scripture that kind of lifts up, like it all becomes blurry around and it kind of lifts up at you, right? And for some of you, like that's the exact part you didn't want to read, so you're like, I better read faster, you know? But then it keeps popping up like he's chasing you, right? But that is experiencing God speaking, you know? And I would say at that moment, slow down. That's your meditation right there. You want to underline that thing. You say, well, I don't underline my Bible. You need to. God's speaking to you. Um, often I'll even like underline, sometimes I'll write in the margin like a thank you note to the Lord for speaking and what he said, you know, but slow down, mark it, write it down, take it with you, chew that cud, you know, that would be the thing for you to chew because the Holy Spirit is causing Christ to stand forth in his word. Isn't that wild? And I can't help but make like a Star Wars analogy and I'm pretty sure it's my first one, so <laughs> this may be it too. But, and see if it works for you. It keeps on coming up in my mind, so maybe it'll work for you, maybe it won't. Okay, here, that's enough, here it is. So you know like the holograms, you know when like R2-D2 or whatever will like turn on his little thing and there'll be like a holographic projection of like Princess Leia and she'll talk? I feel like that's the way it is with the word of God. Like as we open the word and as the spirit comes and enlivens us, he projects Christ to us, right? I'm not saying I see him physically, but he does something like that where he causes Christ to stand forth so we can feast upon him in the word. It's so exciting. And guys, you know why the word's savory? The word is savory because Christ is savory. And the word shows us Christ. You know, when we meditate on God's word, it's ultimately about feasting on the presence of Christ. Listen to A.W. Tozer. He says, The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring us into an intimate, satisfying knowledge of God, that we may enter into him, that we may delight in his presence and taste and know the inner sweetness of God himself in the core and center of our hearts. Okay, this isn't just like, I know I should, right? This isn't like, I feel guilty if I don't. This is about, you want to taste and know the inner sweetness of God himself. Guys, the Bible is not an end in itself. Uh, some people treat it that way. Like, you know, I'm, I'm all about the Bible, you know, I want to learn the Bible. And it's really, that's all it's about. That there were people like that in the first century. There were the bad guys. You remember that? Like, there were people like that, the Pharisees and the scribes and stuff like that, knew the Bible better than we ever will, and they were the bad guys. 
Okay? That's not good. Right? It's not about just knowing the Bible. It's about knowing the Bible so we can know Christ. It's about savoring his presence, guys. The word of, the, the word of God is savory because Jesus is savory. We're crazy about this book because we're crazy about Jesus. And this book shows us him. And one last thing I want to just say to you is Jesus is the ultimate Psalm 119 man. You know, we don't know who that guy was, but we know that Jesus is the ultimate Psalm 119 man. No one ever loved and delighted in the word of God like Jesus did. In fact, John tells us that Jesus is the word made flesh, right? Jesus embodied all of the teachings and commands of scripture perfectly. You know, in Jesus, we see what happens when the word of God is fully alive in a human heart. Jesus loved God and people so consistently. Do you know why? Because the word of God had entered every recess and formed and lit every recess of his heart. So that, I mean, it was wild because Jesus was so full of the word that when you cut him, he bled Bible. You just realize that? Like what happens when you bump me or you cut me? When you, when you cut Jesus, he bled Bible. Do you guys remember that Friday? That Friday when the sun went dark? Um, and as he was suspended from the cross, you remember when Jesus scanned the sky looking for any presence of his father? Do you remember what he said? He cried in Psalm 22. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus Christ was forsaken for all of our unfaithfulness. The one who, deserved, who never deserved to be forsaken was forsaken so that us, the ones who never deserved to be accepted, would be accepted. And guys, today... That same Jesus, though risen from the dead, wants to offer you three things. He wants to offer you, number one, his perfect history. He has a perfect record before God. He has a perfect history. He wants to give you that as a gift, that that could be your perfect history. He wants to give you a present life. Like He wants to live through you now. When we think about the word of God changing our hearts and us living differently, what we're really talking about is the Holy Spirit causing Jesus to live through us. He wants to offer you a perfect history, a present life, and he also wants to offer you his well-deserved future, okay? Because when God comes and he renovates this world and makes it new, and he resurrects this world, and he resurrects his people, that's a history that Jesus deserves, and he wants to give it to you as a gift, if you will turn from living your own life your own way and trust in him. And the cool thing is, guys, is that you turn from living your own life your own way, and by now, if God's prepared you for this, you already know you're horrible at living your own life your own way, right? And so you're like, this sounds good. And then he says, come be my student. And don't just learn from me, but I want to actually live through you. You could be my student. And it's so fun, guys, that in this life that we have, until we, because one day we, with our own resurrected eyes in a resurrected world, are going to see the resurrected Christ, right? And until then, he's given us this tremendous gift of the word of God that the spirit could so reveal him in this until we see him. And what keeps us coming back to this book? It says at the end of um, 1 Peter 2.3, it says, because we've tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we uh, have tasted and seen that you are good. And um, Lord, help that to be our thought, first thought of you. Our first thought of your word is that we just want you. We crave you. We desire you. We savor you. And Lord, as we take communion, we pray that it could be a real communion with you. Uh, that we would enjoy your presence as we remember the sufferings of your son. As we worship, Lord, we pray that it would be with hearts full of joy, the kind of joy that comes from seeing you fresh.
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at covgrace.org slash Menifee.